Blog Talk Radio. Hi kids, do you like fairy tales? If you're a new listener, I promise that's not how we normally start the show. Um, that was that was unique just for today um, because of the events of Sunday. Um, <laughs> if you're trying to get into the chat room, I do want to let you know that you might need to refresh your browser's page a couple of times before it'll let you in. But it will eventually get there. There's already some folks in there. So I'm going to give a shout out to... The folks who are normally haunting us here, uh, since we're totally dead to the world because the show is going away. Um, Dana and Maggie, hi. And I know that Ray was in here earlier, too. <laughs> I think that she's going to be back. All right. So, welcome to the podcast. I am Rumpel's Golden Baby Blanket. <laughs> and I am the Blue Fairy New the Whole Time. The whole time. The whole time. The, the whole time. time. Um, yes, as it turns out, she did. So there we have it. Um, we're going to get into our episode discussion here in just a sec. We're going to start off with some news bulletins. We begin our podcast with exciting news about the upcoming musical episode, which, spoiler alert, by the way, the news bulletin is primarily going to consist of musical episode news. Um, but we've got a full track list thankfully, so we can look forward to the following songs. And from what it appears to me, this is the order that they will be appearing in the episode is what it looks like, one could assume. Um, So the first one is called Powerful Magic, which is sung by Jennifer Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas. That's the one that you saw in the American promo, which love is the most powerful magic of all, that one. And then we've got The Queen Sings, which is Lana Lee Aaron Lana Perea Lee Ehrenberg, Tony Amendola, Beverly Elliott, Jennifer Goodwin, and Josh Dallas. Um, which is interesting. I'm gonna to get to that in a second, but hold like put a pin in that one, okay? We're gonna come back to that. Specifically the people who are singing it. The third song is called Love Doesn't Stand a Chance, which is a solo by Lana Perea. Then we've got Revenge is Gonna Be Mine, which is sung by Colin O'Donohue and his pirates. Then Wicked Always Wins by Rebecca Mader. And then we've got Charmings versus the Evil Queen, which is Jennifer Goodwin, Josh Dallas, and Lana Perea. Put a pin in that one, too. Um, number seven is Emma's Theme, which is Jennifer Morrison's solo. And then it's going to end, it looks like, with A Happy Beginning, which is sung by Jennifer Morrison, Colin O'Donohue, Jennifer Goodwin, Josh Dallas, Lana Perea, Rebecca Mader, Jared Gilmore, and the episode Chorus. And if you listen again to the American promo for next week's episode, at the very end, you can kind of hear us saying, a happy beginning and then something else. 
Um, sounds very much like a Disney stage show to me, um, that last song, so, which makes sense because I guess one of the guys who wrote the songs for this episode, including that one, choreographed, or excuse me, wrote the music for a stage production on a Disney musical ship. Um, I am neglecting to provide that information because I neglected to look it up in advance because I just realized I probably should have. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, so the two things that I told you guys to put a pin in, right, the Queen things and Charmings versus the Evil Queen, um, it was noted in Entertainment Weekly's article, which released this list, that originally there were going to be seven songs, not eight, but one of them got split into two songs. And I'm wondering, just based off of who is singing it, um, I'm wondering if the Queen sings and Charmings versus the Evil Queen used it, like if that was the split, because that's the only song that I can see where the like those three people are all involved and they're kind of like it's the only one that has anything to do with the other, basically. Um, you know, like two of them are similar and the rest of them are kind of separate and basically solos. So anyways, that's my own personal speculation. But that is the upcoming list. I am excited for all of them. Um, I am ex- very much excited for Emma's theme because from a little preview thing that I found on YouTube, which I tweeted, if you're interested, um, Emma's song is set to the theme song of Once Upon a Time, to that melody. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Oh, no. They um, released one of the songs already. They released uh, Colin's song with the pirates, the revenge, revenge, revenge is going to be mine. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. I felt like, oh, okay, pirate song. I'm not going to dig this. It's going to be my, my uh, you know, least favorite song if I had to rank them. But it's catchy, and I'm, I'm, I'm mad at how catchy it is and how much it was stuck in my head. So I have a very good feeling about this. Um, I also want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to our friends with the Once Upon a Time, the rock opera, because they have been around for a while and they kind of have done this concept on their own in a parody form. So if you like the idea of singing in the Once Upon a Time like realm and stories and stuff, definitely check them out. Um their Twitter is at O-U-A-T spoof and they have links to where you can purchase the rock opera. <clears throat> they often periscope and share, you know, songs and cuts that they've done and other parodies. So definitely check them out. I'm also happy Indeed. that Beverly Elliott is singing <laughs> because it would be a damn shame if Beverly Elliott wasn't able like to sing in this because she is a fine singer. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad, 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 mad at myself. Um, that is from Beverly Elliott's One Woman Show. She performed that for us at God, Regal Con, I believe. Yeah, it was Regal In my Con. Mind, I actually never heard it, and I'm very remiss that I was on. I've uh, always been unable to catch her One Woman Show because it's often at uh, Vancouver Fringe Fest, and I am not in Vancouver. Yes, sadly, neither one of us are in Vancouver. Um, all right. Yeah, so I'm also excited to hear that they're putting her talents to use, her natural talent there, Ms. Bev. And I'm really excited about the rest of them, too. I'm, um, 
I did listen to a little bit of Revenge is Gonna Be Mine. I listened to the first verse and a little bit of the chorus um, before I turned it off. Um, yeah. Uh, I got, it was very much, um, it felt very like Queen Rocky Horror to me, actually. Um, that was kind of the vibe that I got, which is perfectly fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it works. That's exactly the tone that it should have, I think. I mean, it's, that's that's the kind of music that is appropriate for Hook's character. So I really enjoy it. Um, I can't it's say, me. I mean, yeah, and, I mean, whatever. We'll see what the rest of the songs sound like. I'm looking forward to um, Powerful Magic because I've actually been singing that little part of the song ever since Sunday night when they showed it to us. Um, so... Yeah, because I actually, so that's the only one that I know at this point. Um, <clears throat> I am not going to learn all the words to Revenge is going to be mine. But um, on that note, actually, with this track list, which I'm glad that I just checked for that, I um, want to let you guys know that it's actually going to be released. All of the songs will be released on Friday, this Friday, May 5th, on iTunes for purchase. So we will all have the opportunity to download the songs, learn all of the songs, and sing along to the songs. And I don't know about all of you, but I plan to do exactly that. So there it is. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely doing that. So keep that I in mind that you will be done Friday. Hmm? I said I hope they release a physical CD at some point as well, because I will definitely purchase that. Uh, yeah, same. Um, you know, they could, what they actually could do is they could put it together in like a package with, I don't know, the music from seasons three, four, five, and six, since they haven't released the soundtrack since season two and season three has one of the most beautiful themes of all of them (laughs) going home. So, um, they could do that, you know, and, and satisfy the, the probably small but passionate fan demand that there is for it. You don't, I mean, really, you'd, I would love a physical CD with jacket art and all of that stuff, but even if that was not financially feasible, I think that it would be a good idea, perhaps, to release all of the soundtracks from each season of Once Upon a Time, maybe as just digital download only on Amazon. I would buy it. Um, so. Oh, you know what they're going to do? I bet you ten bucks. You heard it here first. They're going to do a deluxe version of the season six DVD, and they're going to include a physical CD of the soundtrack. How much you want to bet? Oh, I you know I bet that they do. I bet they do. That'll be one of the extras, totally. And I bet that they would do a making of the musical episode too as one of the featurettes. Um, I should hope. I mean, yeah, one would hope. Oh my God, the bloop! Yeah, the bloopers of the musical episode alone are going to be great because I would love to see the bloopers of the of the scene for Emma's song because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. If you haven't seen it, you don't want to. But what everybody else is doing in that scene is—I mean, it had to be hilarious. So um, Ray is asking in the chat room if the songs are only on iTunes. As far as I can tell, as far I, as I can see, I only I saw any information think- about it being on iTunes. I want to say I heard something about Spotify, but don't quote me on that because I don't think that's right. Yeah. I've been hearing more about iTunes. Yeah. Um, episode 
say two titles. Like, that's, I know. That's like, so we're there. Weird. It's, yeah, we are there. Um, I feel like our podcast that covers the finale is going to be very emotional and probably a two-hour one, if not a little bit longer. I might even schedule it for the longest one possible so that if we go over, we can, so that we can cover everything and, and talk about everything we need to talk about. Um, <clears throat> actually, you know what? On that note, I'm just thinking ahead, and I'm thinking about how fun that's going to be. And so here is what I want to do. So if you're hearing this podcast um, live or if you're listening to it on download later, our final podcast is going to take, well, for this season at least, is going to take place on May 16th, which is in two weeks. Um, And what I think I would like to do is have some of you who listen to us on a regular basis and who join us in the chat room, if it's all right with you, maybe call in and just share what the end of this iteration of Once Upon a Time means to you and kind of like a retrospective kind of a thing. Even if you don't want to do it live, if you would like to write us a letter, that would be perfectly acceptable as well. Um, But I would like to hear from some of our listeners and get your guys' perspective on how this is all coming to an end. I'm specifically talking to the three of you in the chat room right now. Um, Uh Email address there. Let that be known. Um, Our email address is O-U-A-F, as in fan, like once upon a fan, O-U-A-F podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. So we would love to hear from you guys. And if you want to call in, we can make that happen too. Um, There's a little bit more detail involved in the logistics of that. So if that's something that you're interested in now, um, I am going to bring this up next week as well. But if you're interested in that, please let us know that so that we can make time to get the logistics and everything worked out ahead of time so that there's no confusion. So, yeah, I would love to hear from you guys. And if you have any once or friends that maybe you would also like to grab their opinion or if you want to have them call in, that's totally something as well. And mind you, this is obviously compulsory. (laughs) You don't have to do this. Um, But, you know, if you guys would, I would love to hear from all of you in one form or another. Um, Let's see. So on that note, Ashley's going to give us a quick con update, and then we're going to move into our episode review. Yes, indeed. Um, Remember, you can catch all of our con updates at onceuponafans.com slash conventions. Again, this isn't a definitive list, um, so if you know of any appearances that Once Upon a Time uh, writers, uh, cast members, uh, creators are going to be at, and it doesn't even have to be conventions, appearances. Um, if you know of anything of that nature, uh, definitely drop us a line, shoot us a tweet, and we'll be sure to get it up on our page. Now, coming up this weekend is the Build series in New York City. That's going to be on May 5th. Uh, Build is a live interview series that allows fans an up-close and personal insight to some of the biggest names in entertainment, as they share stories about their passions and their projects. Um, Lana Perea will be joining the Build series on May 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time to talk about Once Upon a Time. Tickets are no longer available for this event, but I believe they stream it live as well, and you can catch that information um, on their site. We have a link under the Get Tickets uh, hyperlink. 
while you won't be able to get tickets, it should give you more information on how to watch this event. Um, if you are attending, and I want to mention this again because they made it very clear on the event page, um, it should be noted that there will be no autographs allowed on site. I just want to put that out there because um, they made it very, very clear on their event page. That same weekend in Toronto um, is the next uh, iteration of Creation Entertainment Presents Once Upon a Time. That's going to be May 5th through the 7th. Lee Ehrenberg and Michael Coleman will be uh, the event's MCs, and attending will be Lana Perea, Rebecca Mater, Emily Durobin, Beverly Elliott, who plays Granny, Gil McKinney, who's Prince Eric, Keegan Connor Tracy, our very own Shady Blue, uh, Ralph, Ralph, wow, Raphael Sabarge, wow, Ashley, that was terrible, bad Ashley, um, Chris Gauthier, who plays Smee, Sean McGuire, Karen David, who's Jasmine, and um, I just found out that Jared Gilmore will also be there. Um, he's not on our page, but he is attending. Unfortunately, both JMO and Colin had to cancel their appearances. Um, also in May, on the 20th and 21st, is the Telford Fan Zone. Colin Donahue, David Anders, and Rose McIver, who plays Tinkerbell. Dave Andrews, as you know, is our very own Dr. Whale. Um, they will be attending this UK event. Again, Jennifer Morrison had to cancel her appearance due to a prior commitment with the play she's appearing in. Um, rounding out May, we have the Phoenix Comic Con in Phoenix, where Sean McGuire, David Anders, and Karen David will be attending. And then, oh, also, that would, I would be very sad to forget this. Also, May 27th through the 28th, is the Fairy Tales 5 convention, Chapter 5 of this, ex, I believe it's pronounced Ex-Event um, Parisian convention. Uh, Colin Donahue, Jamie Chung, who plays Mulan, Elliot Knight, who plays Merlin, Rose McIver, Sam Witwer, who plays Hyde, and Bailey Madison, who plays Young Snow, will all be at this convention. Again, Jen had to cancel, which is unfortunate. And then just taking a peek into June, uh, we are looking at Creation Entertainment presents Once Upon a Time once again, this time in Denver. Lee Ehrenberg will be in attendance along with Colin O'Donoghue, Lana Perea, Rebecca Mater, Emily Dravin, Beverly Elliott, Gil McKinney as Prince Eric, uh, Michael Coleman, Chris Gauthier, and Greg Germain, uh, who plays Hades. Jennifer Morrison did have to cancel. However, uh, Creation has been bringing in different uh, actors and cast members to kind of round out their uh, appearance list with these shows. So I would definitely keep an eye on the convention page and on Twitter because they could be adding new uh, stars at any time. And I think that's it for the convention page. I don't want to get too heavy into June. I also do want to mention that since, you know, the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed, both Zach and I will be at San Diego Comic-Con this year. San Diego Comic-Con is in July. I will, gosh, I don't have specific dates in front of me. Yes, I do. I have them. No, I don't. It's uh, okay. Yeah, I, I actually I just pulled it up because my calendar app is, you know, the best thing in the world. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con takes place um, preview night, which is a little three-hour kind of taste of the convention floor, is on July 19th. And then the con officially starts on the 20th and runs through the 23rd. Now, we don't have any strict confirmation that Once Upon a Time will be attending 
But when we do have that information, normally that doesn't come out until very close to the convention. Like we're mm-hmm. talking like a month out, which is Not a even. bit obnoxious. No? Oh, no, you're right. Sometimes, it comes sometimes, out like it's, been, sometimes it's been weeks. Like sometimes it's been weeks. So, yeah. You, but we you will be there. Things have been a little wiggy this year with, with San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. The normal kind of flow of dates has not been what's been in the past. So we'll try to keep you as updated as possible. And obviously, if you pay attention to Twitter, things will be announced there as well. But as Zach said, we will both be there, and we'll do our best to bring you any updates, news, and otherwise from that huge event. Um, and I believe Absolutely. that is it for our convention update. Back to you, Zach. Um, it is. Um, quick question for you though. Dana in the chat room is asking if you have any news on. Well, I don't, she may not be asking us. Maybe she's asking Amy. Do you have any information on MegaCon in Orlando? And if not, I'm sure you'll look into it. But um, MegaCon. Well, MegaCon. The only thing I know about MegaCon is that they had um, four of their big guests drop out. But I haven't seen anything about once. Oops. Once upon a time guests uh, being announced yet that's a very uh big possibility that they could be announcing somebody because like i said they had a couple of large uh high profile guests have to had to quit uh due to prior commitments but i'm taking i'm wow they got a big the people here i'm clapping an eye on the um the list of people who are supposed to be attending and i do not see anybody who's going to be with uh, Once Upon a Time. Let's see, Norman Reedus, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, mm-hmm. both from uh, The Walking Dead had to cancel. But they've been canceling, a, and I don't want to say they've been canceling a lot of appearances. So that doesn't, that, they've, it's filming is is what the deal is. And it, the same thing kind of happened with the Stranger Things kids. And that's exciting because that means that it's more, you know, episodes, more scenes with our favorites that we can consume. Um, Meatloaf also had to cancel and a, oh, Sean Patrick Flannery had to cancel too. Um, but as for once guests, why is Mike Tyson going to this? Um, sorry. Anyway, as once guests. <laughs> once guests, I had I don't see any for MegaCon yet. <laughs> okay. Tyson. So there's your All answer, right, so Dana. Yeah. I, we can look into it for you if you want. Um, I'm sure that we will. You know, you'll. I mean, you know, stay tuned to onceuponafan.com/slash/conventions for all of that information as per the usual. Um, at least for now. Um, all right. So let's see. I'm actually just going to go ahead and put this out there, um, because nothing is official yet, but for those of you listening to the podcast, there is some, the fate of Once Upon a Fan has not quite yet been decided. So keep that in mind going forward. Just kind of like the fate of the show has not been decided. We're all kind of in a holding pattern at the moment, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, okay, so having said that, that is pretty much it for the news bulletins. Um, I feel like there is something else, actually. Um, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Um, I wanted to congratulate the cosplayers who were at the oh, convention right. last weekend. Um, their names are Emma and Tilda. Emma and um, Tilda. I don't have their their joint handle in front of me. I can look that up really quick. But oh my God, go ahead, Zach. I'll look up their I'll look up their Twitter. 
Yeah, um, I just want to congratulate them. For those of you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, they are cosplayers um, who cosplay as Emma and Regina. They are also a couple. And over the weekend, um, I'm guessing that the woman named Emma cosplays as Emma. Um, that would make sense. So I'm, I'm assuming that. So having assumed that, the woman who I think is named Tilda and cosplays as Regina got down on one knee at the convention and... Um, during Lana's panel. During Lana's panel and asked her to marry her, and they got engaged, and it was so cute. I saw the video online, and um, it was just so sweet, and I just want to say congratulations to you both, and I think that's awesome, and I wish you both the best, and I'm sure you'll have a Once Upon a Time-themed wedding, and I can't wait to see it on Pinterest because I'm sure that it'll make the rounds whenever it finally happens, and... Um, Their Twitter yeah, handle like, is, ET, uh, is at E.T. Swan Queen. Oh, that makes sense. Emma Tilda, E.T. <laughs> I know, right? I, 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 I didn't know exactly what it was. I didn't know if there's any underscores or anything funky, so I didn't want to like, give the wrong Twitter handle out. But, yeah, they are E.T. Swan Queen, and I, it's, the pictures were so gorgeous. i got to give a shout-out to... Uh, a gal named Jet that I met at Vancouver. She's Crescent or Crest, not Crest, C-R-E-S-N-O-T-C-R-E-S-C on Twitter because she got some beautiful pictures of Lana's reaction and the couple hugging. So I got to definitely give her cred for those pictures. Yeah, that was super sweet. Um, congratulations to you too. I think you're awesome. And I'm saying Lana cried when they got engaged. It was so sweet. Um, all right. So that's pretty much where we're at with that. Okay. Having said that now, let's go ahead and get on into our episode discussion here. Um, so this episode, of course, was called The Black Fairy. It was written by Jerome Schwartz and Dana Horgan, and it was directed by Ulrich Riley. Um... Lots to unpack in this episode. And when mm-hmm. I was watching it, um, Ashley had not watched it yet, and I knew when I saw it that she was going to lose her shit. Um, yes. And she did. Oh, wait. Before we get into this, actually, there's another news bulletin that we forgot. Because didn't, we, didn't, we didn't discuss it until right before the podcast started. Privately. Oh, um, yes. Before we get into it further, so guys, we want to let you know, we've kind of been hitting around at it, um, but we wanted to let you know, for those of you who are interested, um, Ashley and I are going to be starting our own podcast. Yay. Um, the word is Yay. finally out. Um, it's, it's still a work in progress. We don't have our premiere date um, or platforms or anything like that. Those are all still in the works. We are going to be building that up shortly here over time. Um, But we just wanted to give you all a heads up that that is going to be happening because um, we found that we wanted to um, have another space to talk about other things. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of sidebars on this podcast, which is, you know, devoted to Once Upon a Time. And we're always like, oh, we'll, we'll... well, back to what we were talking before, back on track or, you know, that's for another podcast. And mm-hmm. we kind of decided, well, we should make another podcast then. Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
want to let you know, like, the name of it. So we're calling it Queer Versations. Um, as you may have guessed from the title, it's kind of about gay people. Um, but it's not specifically, I mean, it's, it's Queer People Conversations. It's a podcast. It's a podcast with gay views on all the news. Um, so that's basically what it is. So if that's not necessarily your bag, that's cool. But we are going to be starting that pretty soon. We will keep you up to date on all of that over the next two weeks as this podcast comes to an end. But we already have a Facebook and Twitter page established. And I don't know if I've taken the step of making us an Instagram, but I'm sure that I will do that here shortly. So um, there it is. So, yeah, um, queer versations, so the word queer, Q-U-E-R, and then versations, V-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S. Um, so feel free to follow us. You'll know that it's us because our logo is a Q made out of headphones and a microphone with a rainbow in the background. So there you go. Um, exciting. We're looking forward to it. Yes, very exciting. We're very much looking forward to this new project. And if you guys will want to come along and join us because you like what we talk about here, we would love to have you come along with us and be one of the seven people who ends up listening to the show and we'll totally be that popular because <laughs> we're cool. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. So now getting back into the episode discussion. Um, yeah, I knew Ashley was going to flip her shit when she saw this episode and she did. Um, so did I, as a matter of fact, lots of things to discuss on many points. The flashback was, fantastic um emma and which is basically emma and rumple kind of like in the dream realm flashback like it was kind of like a mix of these things it was like which a I thought was side flash almost yeah exactly it was like yeah um we had some stuff going on in storybrook with the mill sisters which we will thoroughly unpack in a second and you know miscellaneous odds and ends that we have to clean up as well so First things first, out the gates, I love the fact that, well, what was unusual about this episode, actually, to me, is that, and me, and I, I've, I swear this is the case, was it just me, or did they show what happened previously in the episode, like, on the show, and then they went right to the title card, and then we went into it? Like, it seemed like there was no teaser segment. Was I... You know, I think you're right. I... I, I... I didn't make a point because I watched it on Hulu and it's, you know, it to me, it's surprising they do the previously on Once Upon a Time uh, thing because that's what that guy's voice sounds like. Give him a lozenge. Um, they do that on Hulu, but I don't, I don't remember, but I think you're right because I remember mm-hmm. waiting for the title card to pop up. After the fact, but I do remember the title card. I remember thinking I had a very big Sleeping Beauty vibe, so I was like, ooh. Um, but I think you're correct. I think they wanted to jump right into it. I mean, like, how, what of mm-hmm. this, what, what of this um, episode would you, you know, preface to tease for the rest of it? It kind of just all, like, the episode was incredibly well-paced, but it was, like, there was a lot of information, so it just kind of went for it, and... I think they did an excellent job of keeping it at mm. a pace that it didn't feel like you were just breakneck speeding through all of this. It was like, well, this is what's happening, and, and we have to obviously go through a lot of the Blackberry's history very quickly, but I never felt like it was rushed. Yeah, I agree. 
excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. Um, do we, I mean, I personally, last episode, last week's episode was definitely a very good episode for me. And this week's episode was even better. And I feel like we are going on this steady, like, incline in the quality of the episodes. Because I remember I was, I was very mixed feelings on, I think, the, the middle four of this half of the season. So this kind of upward track that we're taking in, mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know, I don't want to say in quality, in enjoyment, that's the one, of how I, how much I enjoyed how things were, like, portrayed and what was, what, what information we were getting is, I mean, I, that means that the finale is going to, like, murder us. Um, but I'm very pleased at that, too. I'm, I'm glad that we're not dipping back down. I'm glad that this episode did not disappoint. Like, we still have a few questions here and mm-hmm. there. But at the same time, we got a lot of answers, a lot of meaty stuff. And mm-hmm. I just, I was very satisfied with this. I just, I was very happy. I don't know. Were you, what were you, Zach? Were you, were you happy? Um, I was. And there's one thing that I've actually been dying to talk about um, since I saw the episode. I don't think I even tweeted about it. I might have. I don't remember. I'm not going to go back and look because I send out a lot of tweets. But um, I've been dying to talk about this since the episode. I've been dying to talk about this on the podcast. So it's going to jump pretty much to the end, but I don't care. So um, Fiona's fairy dress. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, here's I, I oh, it makes me so happy so so happy when this light bulb turned on I was honestly giddy with joy um, her dress is basically an alternate version of Belle's golden ball gown and it is really no wonder now that he likes brunettes and gold dresses because that's what he saw his mother as. There's a whole Freudian thing going on here. So Ooh, I have like I, mommy issues. I noticed that immediately. I was like, that looks it's a gold dress. Like it's a gold dress. Like she it oh it's Belle. Gold brunette, Mr. Gold. Hair, gold. Like yeah. It was one of those things. So when I saw that well, I was I'm, like, okay. Mhm. Oh, just the moment too. When and I know we're jumping wait right to the end, but I just I want to talk mm-hmm. about this. The moment when she became the Black Fairy, when like that switch clicked and she went all dark and she was so stunned. I just that I love that. I absolutely love. I just the visuals in this episode were very awesome. Mhm. Yeah, very much. Um, I really enjoyed them. I loved it when her dress turned black. And she went mm-hmm. evil, and the crest, you know, the little crescent appeared. Um, I, yeah, because honestly, it was oh, so well, let's say honestly, I didn't think that it, she would be the one with the crescent. I didn't see that until mm. right before it happened. I was definitely expecting somehow, like it to be, even though I know the timeline was like way off for some reason. I was like, yeah, but what if Emma shows up and she is the crescent? She's the great evil or something like, and that's why she has the tattoo on her wrist to cover up this crescent scar. Like that was what was going on in my brain, even though that made no sense in the timeline of the show. I was still like, well, it could be this or it could be that, or what's going on or who's the baby. Does blue have a crescent scar? They kept me guessing right up until the moment, right before it happened. And I appreciate that. 
Mm. And this, this new lore that we're getting, I don't feel, I feel like this is the kind of fleshing out that really adds to the story instead of mm-hmm. kind of tax on. Whereas mm-hmm. like, I know we had a problem kind of with awake where it was like, well, yes, we got another part of the story, but what did it add to what we already know? And, how did mm-hmm. it change how we felt? Because I do not feel mm, shortchanged or gypped in a way. Um, learning that Rumpel was supposed to be the savior and he had this great destiny. I don't feel like that takes away from anything else with the show because uh, there was mm-hmm. always this air of something with Rumpel, no matter what. There was a reason that he was so important and you right. know we initially thought oh it's the dark oneness and all that and mm. you know and oh, then he that. kind of well it, but and i think it's interesting that he his mother self-fulfilled her prophecies just as he did when he hobbled himself with the seer you know that's such a fascinating point and i'm really glad that you that you said that because i actually had not even thought about that until you just said it so i'm i'm loving that um, I was drawing more of the parallel of the fact that um, the choice that Fiona made in order to save him was essentially, the, like like you had said, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I was thinking more about when Rumpel let Bay go, like, into the portal. So we were thinking, basically, of I guess, of the same scenario, but, like, mm-hmm. different, like, you know, different parts of it or at different times, I suppose, because... Uh, that that's what I was thinking of when she, you know, when that happened, I was like, Oh, so he's just like his mom. Like he made the same choice about his son that she's making about hers. And it's him. Um, mm-hmm. like, I just thought, very I thought that, that was such a, a great thing. And yeah. And then also, um, oh, shit, you just said it. Um, oh, you just said something about something else. It'll come back to Was me. it the destiny? Well, I was just going to say that it's very interesting. Like when Watching the show, you really do find out the show. The crux of the show is mothers trying, maybe succeeding, maybe not, to do the best for their children and mm. making difficult choices for them. That is, that is right. the very center of the show. And we've seen it in so many iterations of motherhood with Emma, with Snow, with Regina, with Zelina, uh, with Rumple, with uh, Charming's parents, you know, Ruth, just any, you could name any character and something to do with their parents and the choices that they were trying to make, you know, they're trying to give their children their best chance and, how nothing really ever turned out the way it seemed, but they once upon a time almost is like a metaphor for growing up. It's you, you trust your child and let them go into the wardrobe and and live their own life. And maybe they don't understand your parenting choice right away, but they realized it was for the best. Or maybe you have a mother who is trying too hard to protect her son and not letting them fulfill their life and their destiny and that ends up harming them in some way, even though the intention was out of love. It's very interesting. It's very clear to me now and very interesting that this is what the show is about. And well, um, oh, sorry, I thought you were done. No, and it is. There was one more thing that I had about the Black Fairy and her 
self-fulfilling prophecies. And it's escaped me. Oh, just oh, just the fact that now I mean I think that they kind of you know she went nuts though in her own in her own separate realm. That's why she kills babies. Because she said I'm going to try to find you, Rumple, and she became very fixated on this baby idea. I feel like, and that's why you know she became a baby snatcher, and you know, just she's just this warped. That's what she it became was. a warped version of herself. That's I mean, clearly, I obviously, when her dress, yeah. When her dress turned black, she became a warped version of herself. But it was just being mm-hmm. stuck in a realm where she was turning over her greatest failure, failing her son over and over again. That really twisted her into this kind of like mommy dearest thing that she has going on now. Right. That's actually, yeah, that was what I was going to say. But in a, I think, again, a different version of it, or I'm just a different part of it. Because I was thinking more of the fact that um, I thought it was. I've always thought that it was kind of a disservice to the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale, and I've I've spoken about this before. When we got um, the episode The Miller's Daughter, where we saw Rose McGowan as young Cora for the first time, um, I hated the fact back then that Rumpel told her his name um, immediately and that she didn't have to guess it and that that wasn't actually part of the Once Upon a Time version of the story because that's the whole point of the Rumpelstiltskin version. Um, so I didn't like it at the time, but thinking back on it now, what I think is so interesting, what I was going to say earlier is that they flipped the script on the black fairy and she actually is more of the baby snatching one whose name nobody knows because she's just the black fairy. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you know her name, Fiona, it's because you're her, it's because you're her child that she's stealing. Like, I think that that's very interesting. I think that that, that um, it's maybe so subtle that people may not have picked up on that. So I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that I that I brought that point you know forward because I I think that that may I think that it was a conscious choice on the part of the writers. It may have been unconscious, um, but I do think that at some point you know there are levels of that there. I think it's, you know at least it's easy to interpret that that way. I am so. Um, yeah, I, just, I think that that's very interesting, and I like the fact that they did that. And by doing so, for me personally, because I think in this way, I was thinking about this at least, um, it changes how I feel about that episode back in season two. Um, it makes me appreciate. It makes me like it more now that they've established this. It may have been late. It may obviously probably wasn't something that they were thinking about back then. Um, but I like that they were able to give a different weight to an episode from four seasons ago. I think that that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that it does that as well. Um, again, whether it was um, intentional or maybe, you know, a more subconscious thing, that's fine. Um, I thought that it was really interesting to, like the other thing, of course, to work in um, that we definitely need to work in. God, what is, what is that? What is that noise? What is that? I can't. What is that noise? My name is. My name is. What is that? My name is. My name is. Yeah. You ask. Um. <laughs> so. <clears throat> I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I didn't. I. You got me because I was like, okay, what's going on? Is Zach's house getting broken into now? What's happening? And then I'm not gonna lie, the music scared me for a minute. <laughs> 
Um, that needs to be a ringtone. You need to send me that file so I can make it my ringtone, please. I totally will. I feel I should send it to Keegan. Oh, um, um, so, yes. So the fact but, that that oh, we now you know. The whole time. She go Ashley. Since I, I mean, we both have subscribed to this for so long, but your intense, your feelings are more intense than mine. Please tell the folks what happened. She knew the whole time. I mean, okay, I know the shady blue fairy thing. It <laughs> may have been accidental in season one, and it may have been something that they kind of were like, "Well, this is a thing. We're going to play this up." It was never official, but think about it i mean and this may not i mean her she's not blatantly the ultimate evil that i want her to be where she kind of like it's like who set the house ablaze we didn't get that in this episode but the fact that she was there she knew that there was a dark curse being crafted because it was like chilling on in the fairy secret fairy clubhouse it had a name. What was the What was the name of that? The the sacred, sacred fairy, fairy vault. sanctuary. Sacred fairy vault. I, I like yeah. I I like the uh, secret fairy clubhouse better. So we're gonna go with that anyway. So it was the hanging gardens of Feridum. Um, because that yeah, it had like this whole like the tulip the tulip motif was. I that's why I thought that they were. I thought they were back in the tulips where Blue yelled at uh Tinkerbell. And maybe they were. Maybe were it was they, just a different part. We don't know. Were they? Were they tiptoeing through those tulips? Oh, God, that is such a creepy song. The Tiny Tim it guy is. is a creepo, and honestly, he that is. makes me think of, what the hell is that movie with Barbara Hirsch? I saw that in those theaters, and I almost died. Um, no. <laughs> no. Um, the one with the, the ghosts and the sleeping and the astral projection and the, the, the world's most unfair jump scare ever. No. Um un something or other. Why am I blinking on this? Somebody help me out. I'll I, I'm gonna remember it and I'm gonna shout it out. I was gonna say I don't know because it's on and the first thing I go to is Tony Braxton, so I can't help you there. Oh um. my god. <laughs> okay, anyway, back to Blue Shady though. Um Yeah, Blue Shady though. It, it just it really, really shines a light and I really do kinda hope that they they're probably not going to do it, obviously, in the musical episode, but in the final battle, I hope that they kind of, like, go more into that, that Blue knew that uh, she was aware of this dark curse. You know what I mean? It's just, it, like, I think because well, this happened under her watch, she knew that it was going to come and bite her in the butt, so that's why she kind of go, like, her whole manipulations throughout, like, she... She was with Rumpel's fairy godmother. Do you know what I mean? Like she was aware of Rumpelstiltskin and the fact that he had some biz going on. It's just and that he was supposed to be a savior. Oh, she yes. I mean, I'm sorry. That, I, I'm I'm being that. so utterly unarticulate about this, but it's just the fact <laughs> that she's sat on this for like a millennia almost and. And there are books of fairy prophecies, so she probably has all sorts of info. Just, she knew she screwed up bad, and she has been sitting on all yep. these secrets. 
And so all of her tweaks here and there, or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, like, well, think about it. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. The Black Fairy was driven to do everything that she did out of love. So it does make sense that her getting in Nova's business with Dreamy, because she probably didn't want to see another fairy turn dark and have a whole nother whatever going on. Mm-hmm. I know this is all very retroactive. Like, I... I probably am, you know, sitting here welding cannon together and, and giving maybe more credit than where it's due. But at the same time, I appreciate that this does, like you said with um, the Miller's daughter, this makes things in the past come to a new light. Like I a hundred percent am like, I'm whenever, when I rewatch season one and season two and it's just like, okay, yeah, you knew, you knew the whole time you, you do what was happening. You kept these secrets. The whole it's just, time. The whole oh, time. Oh, the whole, the whole time. time. Just, oh, <laughs> I hope that, I mean, I really hope that they do give it a bit more lip service and kind of have somebody be like, yeah, and you knew the whole time. And we know, like, I don't know if I can trust you, Blue Fairy, because this, this, that, and the other. Because, I mean, she knew this was coming. And she didn't stop it. She just kind of tried to smooth it over. I think that's what I'm getting... That's what I'm getting at, is that she knew that this was coming. She knew... Twice. This was... Right. And she didn't stop it. She just, she just Twice. really just kind of like sanded out the corners and let nature take its course. And maybe that was like, you know, no more meddling. Like we're not supposed to be because Tiger Lou was like, you're not, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. So maybe the fairies are supposed to have a hands-off approach. And she just took that very much to heart, but it's, a kind of a two wrongs don't make a right type of thing in my opinion like she could have been more of a guide to Rumpelstiltskin she I mean because what happened to the fairy godmother I mean like did like why is Tiger was Tigerly stripped of her wings because she allowed this to happen under Blue's nose um because obviously Rumpel didn't have that you know positive female presence in his life he had malcolm and which i'm glad they brought malcolm back i really appreciate that but then they she he yeah. also had the spinsters but no tiger lily so obviously he didn't uh, he wouldn't remember her and i'm just wondering where what happened with that um just i'm very satisfied like it's it, again she's not darth vader but I'm very mm-hmm. satisfied that the blue fairy had both her hands up to the elbow in this particular pie. Right. That made me very happy. Right. Um, yeah, it made me happy too. And yeah, I kept saying twice because it twice. Um, she knew that this was going to happen mm-hmm. and did nothing. And then, <laughs> She like she knew that Rumpel like that this was going ugh, I can't like I need somebody, Tumblr or somebody, one of you people who are very, very good at at backtracing this kind of stuff. I need you to take 
to give me a timeline of the blueberry's treachery, please make it my birthday present. Like, <laughs> just yeah, I because of A then B. I mean, yeah, like I, it's so hard uh, to suss out because she's been such a presence in so many different events, and we've always been like, "What are you doing?" And now that we know, like having her have this knowledge. I I need I honestly need to do a rewatch and just take notes of everything the Blue Fairy did and then go back and be like yes but it's because she knew this like what does it mean for this like because she knew obviously there was a dark curse she you know could have found more trees to transform more people out of the or, or she could have just not mentioned you know beans to bay like because she knew Rubble Stillskin was involved it's just because you remember that back in season one, she was the one who let it slip to Rumple that there was a bean. Just, like, but and you know, but you so know, many like, things. Now looking back on it, and like now that they've done this with the storyline, because again, there's, there's, I'm sure that this was probably not an idea that they had back originally. So I'm, you know, now that they've done this and kind of, um, like, supplemented the history with this, if you will, um, I. I feel like now, like, again, it really changes that how I see episode blue. where, he, well, yeah, well, not only how we, how you see blue, but it changes, for me at least, it changes um, that scene when she goes to him and tells him that there is, you know, a, a magic being, um, that he can, you know, they they can use to escape, all of that, and it makes me now think that like she did it almost out of pity, not pity, but to to get him to the land without magic that his mother originally was going to send him, though his mother well, was going to use like, it's like it's, using a I, sledgehammer as opposed to using a ball peen hammer. What it does now, I think, is it it adds. It adds an element of that's not the right word. Um, it doesn't humanize her, not, but in a way, it retro, gives her no, more no, no, of no, no, a, no, a it's death. Not even, it's not even that. It's it's not like it's an act of retribution. That's not retribution is not the word I'm looking for. But it's well, it's like she's trying to alleviate that, her own conscience. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like she's trying to make up for something. Like she's tr- she's she's trying to make up for the fact that she did not stop his mother from using to cut him from his fate as a savior, which thereby do- basically kind of doomed him to becoming the dark one in a way. Um, it's almost like it's her motivation now in that scene changes because it originally was a thing of we need to get this guy out of this realm because he is the dark one and it's, he's just got to go. Um, and now it adds, it keeps that element, but now it adds the, the new layer of, oh, and P.S., I'm really sorry I didn't stop your mom from fucking up your, <laughs> your excuse me, but that's what happened, um, from screwing up your whole life and – now here's my way of making amends um it you know here's my here's my, my roundabout way of making amends like she i think she was very afraid of taking a direct hand like and again and i want to stress this where we're theorizing all of this 
Night, I don't think you or Isaac do believe that this was the plan from the beginning for the Blue Fairy. I think this is kind of what it developed in, but it's nice and interesting that this late in the series that they're making us reevaluate a character that's been there from the beginning and their motivations. Um, that being said, I think it's almost as if Blue was very cautious about any fairies taking direct action with anything from that point on. And that's why she kind of, yeah. again, went very roundabout about it. She wasn't like, hey, here's a bean. Get the hell out of town and you'll be happy. It right. was, right. oh, I'm going to let this slip. Or, you know, I, you know, you need to not be so directly involved, Tinkerbell, so you need to leave Regina alone and I'm going to yeah. say she's evil because you need to lay off. Right. And the same thing with Nova. It's like, well, I've seen what love does to a fairy. Someone with a fairy's power um, being motivated by love causes them to be extremely reckless. And last time, mm. you know, we created this great evil. So Nova, you and Dreamy, not happening. It's almost like she's a mother to the fairies and she's trying to do what's best for everybody. And it may not be the the most comfortable thing but because it's interesting to think like I'm wondering what would have happened if she had allowed Nova and Grumpy to be a thing like would it have somehow changed Nova and caused you know fairy powers to go awry again if Tinkerbell had been super involved with Regina someone with Regina's budding magical abilities and you know Cora in the house what would having fairy magic in that, you know, what would that have done in the mix? And, or like with, you know, sending, you know, somebody who wasn't Pinocchio, somebody who, who could make definitive choices through the wardrobe with Emma, like what would that have done uh, to Emma's development? Because, I mean, we saw Emma in the wish realm, like she, with, under the influence of her parents, or under the safety, I should say, of her parents, not be, not having to have been made hard. Wow, that was a really clumsy sentence. Not having been made hard by the trials of life, she, Emma would not have had been made of the sterner stuff to face the challenges that are happening now. I mean, that's just a fact. And so, in a way, it seems now that Blue wanted her to have a guardian, I mean, a baby, wanted her to have a guardian, but wanted her to have one that wouldn't overshadow Emma's coming into her own. And again, like I said, I just, I feel like I have to preface this so much because we are really like speculating here. I do like, again, one part mm. is like we were probably really pouring more into this than what there is. But I think that but, uh, but right now, and I don't know about you, the reason I'm, I'm stuttering so much and I'm not as articulate is because I'm trying to give a voice to kind of half-formed thoughts in my head, my head, my head and impressions that I have that I've gotten from this episode. My, I'm trying to articulate my change in feelings towards the Blue Fairy's past actions. And these are just like subconscious things that I'm thinking now that I'm trying to suss out. So in a way, it's interesting to examine the past actions of this character and how they've retroactively been changed with what's going on 
or what's ha- going on now, what's happened already. Does that make sense? Um, no, it does. And I think the reason why is because this, this supplemental history that they've given us for the Blue Fairy and, and by extension, Rumpel um, as well, and kind of explaining that origin a little bit more in depth and fleshing it out more. It's really the culmination of six years of theorizing and guesswork and um, fan fiction kind of, you know, not writing for some people or even just imagining scenes in, in our heads or filling, kind of filling in, you know, the backstory in our heads. Um, it's the culmination of all of that. And it's, I think it's safe to say that it's different from anything that we would have guessed um, mm-hmm. and yet still on the mark enough that it still makes sense and is a great justification because we've had a long time to think about this. So at this point, you know, anything that falls short of the mark, we're really going to know about it because this specific discussion has been happening for so long and we've thought it to death. So mm-hmm. it had to be really good to get past our, you know, to, to get past us, and it did, I think. Um, and, you know, well, and then part of that, mm-hmm. I just want to say part of that was the fact that it wasn't so specific. It wasn't like she did X. It was very open-ended. It was just more about her presence. And I think that goes along with what you said about filling in the blanks in the backstory, where anything specific would not have lived up to what we've been projecting so long. So they did a really good job of pulling mm-hmm. that back and implying so much and just having her be there because the fact that she was there and that's what sticks in in my cross so much is that like she was there. She knew the whole time that her, her presence implies knowledge. And then that implies so many other things. And that is where we're all filling in the blanks, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted your point. Mm -hmm. No, that's okay. And I think that part of the, the struggle with giving, words to have formed thoughts in your head that you were speaking of before. I don't want to speak for you, but it may be related to the fact that in, in getting this new version of a story that we have thought about for years and that we have talked about for years and that we have wanted and imagined and pictured and visualized and all of those things for years to finally get it, um, is there's an, there's a certain level of emotional satisfaction to that, but couple that with the fact that it's at the end of the season and that the show as it stands now is ending this chapter and things are about to change. Like, it's not just like, it's not just heavy stakes stuff for the story. It's heavy stakes for us personally. It's our attachment to the actors involved, to the characters involved, you know, like there's a lot of emotional like investment into this part of the story that has never actually been developed, and it's all been taking place in our head. So for you know, it's basically like the same thing as having written it, and then you finally see it on screen. It just didn't uh-huh. get written the way that we thought. I think that that's certainly a factor of it. Um, I know it is, well, I mean, it is for me at least, like, the combination of all of these things, like, it's so satisfying to get this history about the Black Fairy, 
to finally get an answer to who she is. It's really satisfying to get some kind of an answer to Blue and her background and what was up with her and Rumple. You know, even if it turns, you know, turn didn't turn out necessarily that she has been the Grand Emperor Palpatine pulling mm-hmm. all the strings behind the scenes, you know, it's still a story that has enough gravitas to it that it it does provide that satisfaction for the audience. So I don't know, like there's, there's so much to this one little thing. Um, and it's, I'm really happy that we got it, but it's also kind of like a bittersweet thing, I think, because we're finally getting this answer, but that means that we're towards the end. Like it's almost like another reinforcing factor of that because like we're getting mm-hmm. down to real foundational um, parts of the story, you know, like the, like the mythos of the show is kind of like, this is like, this is not some little incidental thing, really. I mean, that's, isn't that really the point of it? That's what we're really saying here, isn't it? That the mythos of the show is being built upon with this episode, with just a couple of scenes and lines of dialogue here and there, the entire foundation and everything that we understand of this universe that we've been invested in for so long has been changed. So, that's a big deal um, for those of us who have been following the story this way. I, and like you said as well, we're probably getting too deep into this because we tend to do that. Um, mm. But I honestly don't mind that either because I think that getting deep into it like this, and I'm sure that you don't mind either. I don't like me to imply that or anything, but I, I like when we, I'm just going to say it as an opinion. I like it when we do this because I think it really shows our appreciation for the show when we get into it on such a, a deep level because it goes beyond just the kind of conversation that you and I might have on Twitter where we're like, oh, my God, Granny hugged Geppetto, hashtag Grandpetto forever, I shipped Granny. What You know, like, it's not like mm-hmm. that kind of a con- – it's not a superficial conversation. This is about things that are much more in-depth and very intrinsic themes with the show and things of that nature. So – I enjoy these kinds of discussions, and I am really looking forward to getting into more of these kind of discussions on queer conversations when, as we move forward, mm-hmm. because we have a lot more to talk about. Um, also, too, the thing with Rumpel that I want to make sure that we discuss is his actions and his choice at the end, and whether or not, and whether, <laughs> whether or not that is genuine. Because I do not think it is genuine. I think that he is pulling a Snape and that he is playing her so that in the end he can do the right thing. I think so too, but at the same time, Rumpel's history is definitely playing, like, it's against him on this one. Because, like, my... (laughs) my reaction at the very end when he's standing there behind the do not block this like whatsoever wall jumped out at me in the set dressing but um mm. it um I just remember going god damn it Rumple. um yeah, when that I, was I revealed that uh, yeah I believe because I really were, were fucking Rumple, fucking Rumple, always fucking Rumple. I think <laughs> that's what I said Pretty much, um, but I mean, because I knew that there wasn't, it wasn't so easy as him, like, 
as them having a heart to heart and then him taking her heart and then him getting Gideon's heart. Like I knew it wasn't the heart to heart on more than one level wasn't the easiest. So I'm like, she's going to come back somehow. <laughs> her heart, heart looked awful by the way. Oh my God. Like, I don't think that was actually her heart. It looked like a wet napkin. It was terrible. Um, but, um, Wait, I knew it wasn't going to be heart? that easy. That was she, I high? What he, heart? He put, he, plops something on the table and they're like, is that her heart? And he's like, I, and it's done. And she won't be bothering us anymore. And it was just like this black. Oh, that's supposed to be hers. That's supposed to be her heart. Yeah. Oh, I thought that. Oh, I didn't get that. It looked like a deflated scrunchie. Oh, okay. I thought that that was, no, I couldn't have been. I, you know what? I don't know what I thought that was because at first I thought that I thought that it was Gideon's heart, but that doesn't make any sense. And I know that I didn't think that. So I don't know what I thought it was. But well, I don't it was it was that. supposed to be her heart, but it definitely looked like roadkill. Um, but just ugh. so I'm not. I I think I, I I'm hoping that he's pulling a Snape as well. Um, I do want to say that I absolutely adore with all of my heart the fact that Rumble goes, Belle, do you trust me? And she goes, I trust you'll do the right thing. And I was just like, oh, because that right there, I, I, I appreciate the writers so much. Sorry, I was really enthusiastic about that. I appreciate so much the fact that the writers are still not allowing a quick easy fix like they are still having Belle be she's not unforgiving she has I feel in a way forgiven him without saying it in their working together for Gideon and I feel like she is taking in his actions now but at the same time she hasn't forgotten all of his past transgressions and I appreciate that so much so I really enjoy the way that they phrase that line because I always say it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So I feel like Bell said volumes with simply not agreeing with him, with saying, I trust you'll do the right thing. I, I believe well, I, I might be misquoting absolutely. her specifically, but no, 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 no. She said, I trust you to do the right thing for your, for our son or whatever it was, but that's what was said. And mm-hmm. you're completely correct because I trust you to do the right thing and I trust you are not the same thing. Right. And case in point, I mean, she pretty much proved, I mean, she pretty much proved, or he pretty much proved her point in saying that with what he was doing there at the end of the episode. So, right. Um, hold on. Let's see. So, Okay. Here we go. All right, so now he's talking to Emma. Okay. Talking to Emma. Oh, is it the bit in the and dream? Now and now he's holding the heart, and now he put Gideon's heart back. Was the was the wet paper towel before this? Yeah, it was when they were in the diner. Oh, it is when they're in the diner. Okay, so I didn't go back far enough. Okay, so he just he put he, something on the ew. table and you don't really know what it yeah, you don't really know what it is at first and he's like yeah, no, that's her heart, hold on, dude. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
of herds of black sand has been banished to death. That kind of raises the point to where's the blue fairy? She's still chilling in the mines because obviously she's not okay because she knows that like this is a farce. So I wonder where he put her. <sighs> okay, so I've watched it now. That makes more sense. Um. Okay. It so what looked, was that? Okay. I mean, I'm sure it was just some magical it whatever looked, hoodoo that he whipped up. Some, <laughs> some hoodoo. Um, it looks gross, doesn't it? Like, I mean, it, it looks like the heart befitting the Black Fairy. Like, I could appreciate that. Hmm. Um, I appreciate the fact that they included that, too. Sure, why not? Um. Mm, that was weird. Um, but yeah, where's the, so does that, I mean, that really does imply that like, he's like, yeah, the blue fairy is totally safe and with her own kind. So don't seek her out and ask her questions because she's in the nunnery when she knows yeah, like, that I'm she sorry. probably knows yeah, that this that's... isn't like a thing. So yeah. She, where, like, where is she? Is she still. That's my thing about it, right? That's my thing about it. It's like, why of all people, like, like Emma like okay, it, uh, no, no, no. I hate when I fall into plotholes. Okay, so, and it's the same. No, no. All uh, I'm saying is that she's probably tied no, up somewhere. No, They're gonna find her at the wedding. No, 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 no. I just thought of a plot hole, and it's just a fucking plot hole. And now I have to go all like PG thirteen on the podcast and say that I found the fucking plot hole. Because it's the same plot hole that is always there. <sighs> if Emma What's has a that? superpower and always knows that people are lying, then why didn't she know that Rumpel was lying? It never worked on Gold, though. Remember, all the way back in season one, she could never tell if he was lying, though. Maybe not. I guess not. But fuck, man. I'm like, like... 90% sure that they actually said that, he, that like it, like... Like in Neverland or something, she's like, you know, I have a superpower, and he's like, yeah, but it always, doesn't always work on me. I'm almost certain they've mentioned that Rumple is has like mystical dark one immunity to that. <laughs> mystical dark one immunity because he won it and he won it at the mystical dark one immunity challenge on dark one survivor <laughs> on Skull Island. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, um, let's see. And, oh, and by the way, too, because this is another thing that me and Ashley were talking about. Um, we're discussing this, like, we're, you know, critiquing a couple of things, but it doesn't take away from our enjoyment of the show as a whole. Um, we're able to, you know, critique something without showing outright, you know, hate towards it, so... If I hated the show, I would not be talking about it for two hours every Tuesday. Like, trust me. I I, I, I challenge anybody who is listening to this podcast to name three shows that you know I hate. Because if I don't like something, I really don't waste my time talking about it. So I'm I'm dead serious. Like, Zach, I bet you can't name three shows that I absolutely hate now. Or just don't watch. I Like, I've quit the show. Um, Current shows? Any show. I bet you can't do it. 
the only show I can think of that you have ever said anything like that about is Will and Grace, and for good reason. Yeah, no, that was yeah, actually that was part of one of our, well, that was part of one of our conversations. Right, that was. And part that's not of, that to say that part. I won't watch an episode, but yeah, I don't like Will and Grace. I know, bad gay. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, like I'm, I'm hopeful for the return of it because I'm hopeful. Anyways, um, that's that's the conversation Again, we, for another we, podcast. That's a thing we were going to talk. Exactly, we should talk about that on conversations because I have opinions about how Will and Grace in the '90s kind of that climate of gayness and how it won't really how it will clash with the current climate of gayness. But again, that is a conversation that we should be having on the other podcast. Indeed, and we will. Um, mm. Let's see. What else? Um, what else? What else? I Oh, this was another thing that I loved about this. We're probably going to spend oh, – we only – Jesus Christ, really? We only have like 40 minutes left of the podcast? Okay. Um, we have to talk about the I, Mill sisters. We, oh, we're going – we're definitely going to. We're going to get there, guys, I promise. But one thing – another thing that I want to talk about while we're still on the same subject, because I feel like this one really dominated, and, that, again, the mythos of the show was affected, so I feel like we have to pay dues here because the weight of the show has changed. Um, I love the fact that they created – that with this story, what they basically did was really drive home the parallel um, and the similarity between Emma and Rumpel. Um, of all characters, I'm, yeah. Of all characters, yeah. Like when she said, like, nothing can be more terrifying than finding out why you're abandoned. Like that speaks so much to why she was so resistant to Snow and Charming being her parents even after the curse was broken and she knew the truth. Like there are a lot of reasons, you know, like a lot of reasons why that could have happened, some of which were explicit, some were implied, some not even stated. I feel like this is one, like, you know, this is one of many reasons, you know, that, that could have been provided. And it, and it works because it, this parallel is so unique to the fact that, you know, it's almost like when Emma said in the episode Broken, which curse is worse? It, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that question of not knowing why you were abandoned versus knowing exactly why you were abandoned. And is one answer any better than the other? is knowing that you were abandoned for a specific reason any better than not knowing the truth at all. You know, that's a very deep question that I think people in, you know, the foster system or in similar situations, even those who know their family members who were in similar situations, um, you know, find themselves. I think that that's a very common theme in people, um, one that they may not even be aware of perhaps on some level and they may not be aware of it in this context on the show is what I'm saying. Um, Mm. So I just love that. I thought that it was so great that, that they really did kind of go back to the roots of the show a little bit in terms of who Emma is, because I feel, and I've expressed this before, I feel like orphan Emma went away a while ago, which is a good thing, but I don't think that you ever really, lose certain habits of your personality of who you are like growing up. Like there are certain things that you just always do um, that are just ingrained in your personality. And I feel like we've gotten away of, of that, away from that with Emma a lot. Um, and I've talked about that before too, so I don't need to beat that dead horse again because I've already done it. But um, yeah, I, I thought that this was a return back to her 
orphan roots and a callback to, to more of season one and and that part of her life and giving that a little bit more relevance in the current situation. Um, because I feel like a lot of her story this season, I can't really say that I've known what it is. Um, so it was nice to see that change. Because, again, and as we've discussed, I know I'm kind of rambling here. I promise I'll wrap this point up in a second. But as we've discussed before, a lot of times on the show, a lot of the, the storylines that have happened and the things that have put things into play are events that require the characters to be reactionary. Um, they are reacting to things that are happening to them. They are not happening to things. Um, they are not causing things to happen. They are reacting to other things happening. And then the story, you know, moves all of the conflict and moves on from there. Not necessarily anything that they did. I mean, a, rec- a recent example of of something that is motivated by something the characters did would be when Hook did not tell Emma the truth. Um, of course, by he by not doing something, he did something. So it's kind of like the lie by omission kind of thing, um, kind of a catch-22 there. But that's, that is an example of a character happening to a thing. Um, otherwise, though, things happen to characters. Like the Black Fairy coming to town and Gideon coming to town, that happened to them. The Snow Queen coming to town, that happened to them. Um, things like, you know, the, the Queens of Darkness coming to town, that happened to them. Um, Cora coming to the, town happened to them. Zelina yeah, coming it, to yeah, town happened that, to them. Yeah, it, that all is them. It's things happening to them. It's not them causing things to happen. So, in this instance, what was this was a change? And you know what? Maybe that's what the difference in this episode is. Maybe you, maybe that's what. It, yeah, maybe that's what it is, right? Because in this episode, everything going on with the Dream Realm flashback it was being motivated by the characters. Like, the characters were happening to the thing. They were forcing that flashback to be revealed by way of their actions. It wasn't just another run-of-the-mill... <laughs> um, <laughs> it wasn't just another run-of-the-mill, you know, flashback scene that was provided to, you know, again give supplemental history to what was going on in the modern day story and kind of fill that in a little bit, but it's not the same thing. They were witnessing what was happening. They were they were in the pensive. So it was being mm-hmm. motivated oh, by yeah. their actions. And it was, and I think that that's what the difference is with this episode versus the other ones. I maybe, I feel like that's why this one felt different. This one felt like it had a lot of forward momentum. You know, the story mm-hmm. was always moving, even the flashback, it was always moving towards something um you know there was never a point where what was happening in the flashback was not going to end up being relevant to everything else like this was a very Mm -hmm. heavy episode in terms of moving everything forward lots of forward momentum and it was fantastic um because the way that it unfolded it it went so quickly that i didn't realize that the episode was almost over by the time that it was over and I love when that happens. Like, those are great episodes. Um, when you, the passage of time, you just forget it because you're so wrapped up. Like, that was very season one. So I, I feel like that's why I really like this episode, because of that forward momentum, because it, it got things moving. It really 
pushed the story forward and it was characters pushing the story forward. Because now at this point, like the fact that Rumpel made the fake heart, the fact that Gideon has his heart back, the fact that we're proceeding with the wedding next week and all of these other things, this is all happening because Rumpel made a decision to take action. It was an actionable item. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I, I loved it for that reason. I also really adore Jamie Murray. Murray. Murray, help me. Um, uh, I don't know. I've actually never heard it spoken out loud, so I couldn't tell you. I'm so bad with names. Like, I apologize to every single actor we've ever talked about on this podcast. Yeah, now seriously. I butchered your name. Seriously, same. Um, I adore her as an actress, though. I think that she she gives the character a little something extra where otherwise the character would be very one note. She, her performance is making it not one note. Like sometimes it's that, that's not always true of every show or every movie. Sometimes, sometimes you hire an actor to elevate material and the actor's capabilities aren't, they can't do that or be, and that's nothing against the actor. Maybe it's the material, and they just can't do it. But sometimes it is the actor, and and I'm not speaking specifically about once either. Like I'm 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 thinking about something completely different actually. But I'm not going to say what it is. But sometimes, yeah, you just can't get an actor to elevate material. It's kind of like what Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher used to tell George Lucas. Like you can write this shit, but you can't say it. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel I feel like it's very much in that same vein. Um, the writing here for her is already good, but she really does bring there's that that whimsy, that whimsical, poisoned honey Dolores Umbridge thing about her performance mm-hmm. that really does. It's, she's really elevating the material beyond what it already is, which was good. This episode was great. Um, well, I, I really loved she, it a lot. Is that she can, she can be that new mother and then go to be that desperate mother and to be that mother with power as a fairy and to be that mother on the edge of desperation to where she turns dark. And then right before she gets banished, she, she, she's made that, that flip over to the dark side but she's still like that mother. And now after years of rotting in like the, the, I don't even know the negative zone or whatever, she's come back and she's, you know, her nuts a bit cracked, but she's still, she's still that person that we saw only she's, but she still is able to be sympathetic. Like when she's having her heart to heart with Rumpel, um, it does feel she does very much what Robert Carlyle does with Rumpel, like where even mm. when he's doing his dastardliness, like you still you still feel a twinge of sympathy for him, even when he's at his most rotten. It's, Lana brings that same quality to Regina, so oh yeah, um, yeah. So I think you know, and that's. That's really what, what makes the villain more interesting, isn't it? When you can kind of almost relate to them in that way. That's certainly, I think, what drew so many people to Regina in the first place was Lana's ability to play that. 
I can think of a scene specifically, actually, where she does that quite well. It's in Broken when they put her in the jail cell, and she turns around and she looks at Charming, and she says, so I'm a prisoner now. And the way that she delivers the line, it's like you feel bad for her, even though you know the truth and you know why she's getting locked up. You still feel bad that, that they're because she's like, so I'm a prisoner now. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just love it. Um, yeah, Dana's calling it the Phantom Zone, um, where they the said she really was kind of in the Phantom Zone, wasn't she? Like, she kind of totally got, like, judged by Krypton and, and sent off. Um, so that's funny. Um, so can I just say um, really quick, and this has nothing to do with anything. I just want to sure. say that I absolutely 100% with all my heart and soul adore the fact that the heart of Storybrooke, while they thought the fact that they thought it was the clock tower was wonderful, but the fact that it actually was granny's is even more wonderful. Yeah, I because, well, once I said that, I was like, I mean, I was kind of thinking ahead of time. I was like, it's got to be Granny's then, and everyone's like Granny's, and I was like, okay, there we go. Like, I just, I love that they were like, oh, clearly the clock tower, because like all this mess goes down at the clock tower. But it was like, and 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 the fact that it's the geographical center of Storybrooke, I think that's a little interesting bit of trivia, but also. I love the fact that Snow just goes, Grannies. And I was like, yes, Grannies. It just makes me happy because then you think about all the moments mm-hmm. they've had at Grannies. Like all the, the scenes that are like them in booths. Like, you know, a lot of scenes, obviously, that Grannies very much in terms of storytelling is a place for people to gather to get information before they break off again and then to regroup. But I mean, Granny's went with them to Camelot. Granny's was in the the uh, underworld. Granny's was where Wonderland started. The Once Upon a Time in Wonderland started out. She, it's it's where it's, it's it's where Emma stayed when she first got to town. It was it was where Emma was when the clock tower ticked. It was that moment yes. when Rumpel woke up was at Granny's. Do you know what I mean? Granny's is a constant right. in the flashbacks to um, when we, whenever we see, you know, the endless days of Storybrooke, it's always Regina walking past Granny's. And, like, obviously that's because of how they film on uh, Monkey Street and where everything is set up. But, I mean, like, when I went, when I went to visit, when I went to Vancouver, and I sat, I sat in the window and I ate my grilled cheese and I, I you know, I stretched out two cups of cocoa, but the amount of people who would come and take a picture in front of Granny's or, like, sitting mm-hmm. at the benches at Granny's, like, Granny's really is the heart of Once Upon a Time, and I just, that makes me really happy. I love Granny's. I, I have a picture of the diner sign. I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. It's on my wall. <laughs> I'm getting um I'm getting emotional. So let's steer this conversation over to driving lessons with the Mills sisters. Steer. I see what you said there. Well first off, um a hearse, Regina, really? Hmm. It reminds well, me of my first car. And I didn't drive a hearse, but I drove your first a ninety six okay. 
No, it wasn't. It wasn't, though. I hear you can get them cheap. Um, it was a 96 Buick Century station wagon, which could have been a hearse. It was so damn long. It was a, it was a boat of a car, and it had a maroon exterior and interior, and I had maroon fuzzy dice, and I had a hula gal on the dashboard, and I had a fuzzy steering wheel cover, and it kind of, like, seeing that kind of reminded me of my first car. Wow. I called it my pimp mobile. Um, <laughs> but no, I love driving. Uh, I, I, I love. <laughs> you know me. Um, I love the fact that Zelina, you know, she still doesn't have her powers and she, she's so. Fr- I love the scene where the, she's trying to put together the snurgle crib and she's just like, oh, screw this. And Regina's, you know, talking about, okay, yeah, life without magic is hard, you know, and just kind of like the hearts, the hearts they had in that, in those scenes, especially like her learning to drive. Just, I like seeing Zelina kind of struggle with things because everything seems so very natural at her fingertips since we've known her. So it's to see her struggle with something, but also to really commit to try to do something as well. Like she's struggling and she's getting frustrated, but she's not giving up. And obviously like with her finally figuring out the car enough to knock uh, the Blackberry tits over teeth kettle. That scene was awesome. I, that I laughed so hard because it was just like, and she just goes cartwheeling in the air and just was so flustered. And she's like, fine, I'm going to poof away because you hit me with your, your green machine there. Like, uh, I just loved it, but I especially loved how they were talking in the car and how Regina was saying that, you know, there are casualties with battle, like to basically talk about the gravity, like, yeah, you know, we've been in battles, but this is the final battle, like giving real real weight to this event, but also how I love the line where she's like, where Zelina's like, you want me to raise Henry? And she's like, no, I think Henry will raise you and I just I really and how Zelina kind of like understood in a way it was just very because you don't see Zelina Henry scenes at all just so kind of the idea that Regina now trusts Zelina enough with the most precious thing in her life that spoke volumes to me of where they finally were what did you think of all that all the uh, car stuff Zach um, I thought it was hilarious. Um, I also thought that it was funny that it was basically, it's a hearse. Um, Ray in the chat room said that she said it reminded her of a green version of the family car from Harry and the Hendersons, which I agree with. Um, Ashley, check your Twitter. I did, um, and yes, that's, that's my old car. Okay. Um, if you're interested, friends, listeners, um, I tweeted a picture at Ashley, and I got the car right. So go ahead and check out my my feed at the Zach Van Zach with an H, Z A C H. There you go. Um, also, too, I just I just have to say because I just saw this. Um, thank you, Mother Jones, for retweeting this. Apparently, there's a tweet in the world that says, quote, the only wall 
that Trump is, is uh, yeah, seems the only wall Donald Trump built is the one between him and at Flotus, hashtag Melania. And apparently, within the last 10 minutes, Melania Trump favorited that tweet. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. The state of the world that we're in right now. Somebody save us. I don't want to live in The Handmaid's Tale. But, oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's there. Um, and I just DM'd it to you. Um <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyways, once upon a time. Um, I loved it when she hit her with the car and then turned back around and she was like, miss me. Um, she should have said reminded- oops. I honestly thought that the best thing for her would just hang her head out of the car and go, oops. Oh. Yeah, that was Miss opportunity because she always says oops. Um, and Bex is known for saying oops. So I don't know why they wouldn't have done oops. Um, however, having said that... Um, <laughs> um, the what what it reminded me of when it happened was um oh, shit. I just had it. It reminded me. You want to remind me of? So funny. Well, it reminded me of, and it's kind of spoilery if you haven't watched it. But I know what I know what it reminded me of. Go ahead. Uh, well, okay. Spoilers, spoilers. Block your ears. Reminded me of the season, was it two, season one finale of, or season two finale of uh, Wentworth, where Fletch gets hit by the car out of nowhere. Oh. Except, except that was not comical. That was horrifying, but. No, you know what it actually, you know what it just made me think of? (laughs) Remember when. Remember when that bitch got hit by the car in Scary Movie? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's it for me. Um, <laughs> that was definitely funny. Um, they definitely, because it could have been horrifying, because in Wentworth, um, when he gets hit by a car, it's so sudden, and it just makes you go, like, you, you, you literally, like, blink, blink, like, What? And it's it's just so horrifying. But I think including the fact that in all of her, you know, black fairy splendor, you know, robes and everything, she just kind of went like up in the air like a pinwheel and just went <laughs> on the, on, in the middle of the street and just kind of got up and straightened her shirt and was like <laughs> and left. That definitely made it less horrifying. Yeah. Like it was I like, need, a, like like Benny Hill. It was almost like like a death becomes her kind of thing. Where it's like, do you remember where we parked the car? (laughs) Yes. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh god. Um, Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Um, Driving lessons with the Mill sisters. Like it was totally like the kind of when they were in the car together too. It was totally the kind of con- like I know sisters have had that kind of conversation. I I'm not a, anybody's sister, so I've never had that experience. But I'm sure that somewhere that has happened to somebody at some point in time. I'm sure that that is based pure like entirely on 
personal experience on the half part of the Raiders. <laughs> they had to have, because that's just way too perfect. Um, God, that was so funny. Um, let's see. I really enjoyed this. Oh, so really quickly, right? This is potentially a spoiler, I guess. Um, but I want to... I just want to bring it up because it's part of the, it's part of next week's episode and I can't not talk about this because it already exists in the world. It's already out here. Ashley, you haven't heard this yet. I know a lot of you probably haven't heard it either. So damn it. But you've got, you have got to hear this. Like you've got to. Okay. So are you going to go for it? Do you want me to DM to no, no, assess? I'm, no, I'm going to. No, I'm going to. I'm going to play it so everybody can hear it. Hold on. Here we go. Well, that's Jennifer Morrison singing. Wow. 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 Right. I couldn't make out what she was saying, but that note at the end, I was like, girl. Yeah, I'm super excited about this now. Um, Now that I've heard that. And, like, there's a little bit of, like, Zelina's song in there, too, but it's when Bex was in the recording studio so I don't know that they have finished like putting all the filters or whatever on it to make sure that it's the right quality so I don't want to play that one but that one I heard and was like holy shit dude like she really is singing along with the theme song and it works well didn't she sing in uh the Avalon movie Albion yeah the Enchanted Albion Albion, which is such a weird movie, too, by the way. Um, it's good, but, it's, I mean, it's weird. Um, it's it quirky. Looked, it looked weird. It looked weird. <laughs> yeah, it's quirky. Um, oh, yes, and then there's there's that other thing. So, hold on. Um, let's see. Yeah, musical. Yeah, there we go. Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves, everybody. Um, all right. Hold on. Oh, my God. So if you haven't seen The Handmaid's Tale, you should totally watch it, but also, like, be prepared to, like, watch Happy Things After because it's it's necessarily horrifying. Uh Aha, here it is. Here it is. But uh, that's my little endorsement for that. Anyway. There we go. Hold on. This, this whole thing. Oh, hold on. Oh, what happened? Okay. <laughs> that was not what was supposed to happen. Let's try I was it like, again. Zach, what are you doing? Let's try it again. That sounds so fun. Um, that sounds so fun. 
Oh, you're not going to play a Revenge, Revenge, Revenge is going to be mine. I'm not playing that song. <laughs> um, Somebody on, I don't, did I say this earlier? Somebody on Twitter had said it sounded very uh, Muppet Treasure Island. I have to agree. Super digital. Hmm? You just went super digital on me. I don't know if anybody else. So did you. So did you. Anyway, uh, what I said was, is it, so, I don't know if I said this earlier, and if I did, it bears repeating, but somebody on Twitter pointed out that the Hook song sounds very Muppet Treasure Island, and I have to agree. Mm. It, it, it's uh, fine. Nope. Um, just no. Let's see. Um, what else? You do realize I'm going to just sing it all the time at uh, sun, uh, Sundance. Listen to me. Uh, San Diego Comic Con now. Just for That's you. That's fine. That's fine. I'll bring headphones. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this this episode. I mean, we've really delved deep into like a lot of meat with the black fairy and with blue, black and blue. Oh, black and blue. <laughs> black and yellow, black and yellow. Okay. Um, no. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> um, is there anything else that we need to discuss about this episode? Anything? I mean, I can't really... I don't know, because, I mean, really, like, the majority of it happened very linearly in the flash sideway, flashback situation. Mm. It was mm-hmm. only a sprinkling of what was happening in the present day. Mm. I do like the bit, and they showed it as a sneak peek. Like, Jennifer Goodwin is really good at doing the whole limp sync, limp, limp, lip syncing, like, as somebody else's like voice type of thing because when she turned her head and started talking as Jamie Murray, I was like, Whoa I didn't catch it right away. I was like, Wait, wait, what? Um in the yeah, in the bit that, in the beginning yeah. where they're waking up blue. Yes. She's yes. really good. I, I at honestly that. I wasn't sure if it was like something where they like mess with the audio or if she was like doing such a good impression because some people can. I was just like, oh my God, like this is super creeps that she's like talking this way, like super creepy. Um, well, I have to say that that, uh, that's because they showed it as a sneak peek, that little bit right there where the black fairy shows up and she's like, I'm going to choke the life out of blue. And then Gideon's there, but then he puts the bracelet on Gideon like, aha, I have one up to you. Like that whole exchange I think was a perfect kind of sneak peek because that really got me hyped for this episode. It showed me that things were serious, but also things were moving. Yeah. How do you spell Ollie Ollie Oxen Free? Um, O L L I E O L L I E O X E N F R E E. Why do you need to spell that? Because I just asked everybody in the chat room if they wanted us to talk about anything, and then I said Ollie Ollie Oxen Free, and I realized I didn't know how to spell it. You actually spelled it the way that I was going to spell it, but I was like, I've never actually had to do this before. Um, 
So there we go. We're showing our age, by the way. The two of us really we are. Oh, yeah. Holy early oxen for me. Where are my dentures? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, anybody who's older than us probably hates us to death. Um, let's <laughs> see. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything because it's the musical and then the finale, and holy shit. So I just, I like, know. I am super high. And that's so funny because you and I do recall several podcasts ago – I don't know why I started talking like I was like in Edwardian England, but um, do you recall several podcasts ago? I was not excited for the musical. I was like, no, this is yeah. a bad idea. Like it's not. Yes, good. I do. But now I don't know what it was. I think it honestly was the excitement of the cast and getting like the little. I think I don't. Know, they marketed it in a way. In, in some aspects, I will, I will, say that that has gotten me very interested in it. And I think honestly, a lot of that has to do with how enthusiastic then as well. Like there was, we had a ton of fun. And when they have fun, like, I feel like we have fun because we have been blessed, honestly. Like I know everyone says for their favorite shows that their cast is the best and like your cast could never blah, blah, blah. But I think there's something very special about the once upon a time cast because it's so large. And at the same time, while there are obvious, folks who are closer than others and that's only from an observation as an outsider and from what we see at conventions at the same time they do generally have fun and Mm. when they have and their joy in making the show is very evident on screen so with this the fact that they got to do something completely nuts and different and they had a complete blast doing it, and they're excited about that. Makes me very excited about it. Same. Um, I'm also. I don't want the show to be okay. I can't do that. Um, we that is a a troll bridge that we'll have to cross uh, in another realm. Mm-hmm. Another time. Wow. Okay. Um, what? I was going to, somebody has been announced as a guest, not once upon a time, but somebody has been announced as a guest at New York City Comic Con. Um, oh, oh is oh, it uh, who I think it is? Yeah, yeah, I saw he, that. He's the, he stepped in some mess recently, so I don't really feel like uh, oh, okay. diving on into that. So, yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Um, what else? What else? I can't think of anything I mean, else. I think, I think we're there. I think all we have to do is put on our dancing pants and wait for the musical. And, again, check out Once Upon a Time, the rock opera, if you like musical Once Upon a Timey things. Dancing pants to... Wait for the musical. Um, okay. I adore that you have that queued up. <laughs> I love the fact that they, they allow you to do that now. Um, okay. So that's going to be it, guys. So again, if you don't mind, um, 
if you want to hear more from us in the future about things that are not necessarily once upon a time related, um, go ahead and like our Facebook and Twitter pages for queer conversations. And apparently we are on Instagram because I have an email in our inbox for it. So we're there too. Um, hey, we will announce more information, obviously, on social media about when it's coming out and where you can find it and things like that. We'll let you know as well coming up in the podcast for the next two weeks. Also, like I did say earlier, the fate of Once Upon a Fan has not been decided yet. We will also let you know that as soon as we know what's happening, uh, once mm-hmm. a decision, final decision has been made. Um, lots of stuff going on, lots of things in in transition for um, for me and Ashley, for the site, uh, for the show, lots of things in transition, all of it good, looking forward. So we'll see you guys next week. And when we get to review, I cannot believe I'm saying this, when we get to review the Once Upon a Time musical episode together next week on the podcast. God. <sighs> <sighs> So yeah, that'll do it. We'll see you then. Until then, I am Rumpel's Golden Baby Blanket. And I am the Blue Fairy Do the whole time! And we'll see you next week. Alright, good night. My name is Y, my name is